In the book of Genesis, God promised this. He promised that as long as the earth remains, the cycle of seasons would continue. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Seasons will not cease. As long as the earth remains, we have God's word on that. And here we are again on the brink of warm, sunny days and evenings among the flowers in the yard. We are in the greening of the year. It's like the whole world is blushing with young love. And we never tire of that. It never gets old. Last night, out on Bittersweet Farm, our little Hope America, who just turned 21, she went into her room with a baggy sweatshirt on, and she closed the door. And a few minutes later, she came out in a wedding gown of shocking beauty. So winter melts away every year, and springtime arrives with all the glory of a young bride. The crocuses push courageously through the snow. The daffodils spring up and begin to dance in the sunshine. The magnolia bursts into magnificent blossom. The red buds open along the lane in a purple haze. The dogwoods flower on wooded hillsides. And the air is alive with the fragrance of lilac again. And the morning and the evening are noisy with a blessed symphony of bird song. Blessed be God, springtime is coming back to Michigan again. <laughs> but there are things around us that are very dark and very disturbing, and I would give you a count of them if I thought you needed it. But the ubiquitous media stream into our homes, into our living rooms, evidence of human depravity every night, into our cars, into our businesses, and into our offices nonstop. We don't need any more detail of the evil that's all around us. Unrelenting evidence of sin's curse surrounds us all the time. Stories of disease and of death and division and self-interest and abuse of power and greed and lust and murder and theft and perversion and betrayal and pride and violence and tragedy. Politics, news, sports and weather are tucked between breezy ads to sell everything from insect repellent to insurance, from laundry soap to ladders, from basement repair and plumbing services to cemetery property, young chirpy model types in short skirts and perfect teeth sit between talking heads in crisp, always navy suits and chat about the mayhem that plagues our earth as if they're flotting away, swatting away flies or brushing ants off the table at a picnic. News outlets hawk their slant on the facts, and it's frustratingly not as much truth 
and information as it is a bald entertainment product. My apologies to real news people everywhere, but sometimes it's downright shady business like a carnival hawker trying to empty the pockets of the vulnerable on the midway at the fair. Now lately, this evil that's all around us, all over the world, has been hitting frighteningly close to home. The disease, the death, the loss, the fear, the anxiety. And when the evil hits close to home, or when the tragedy touches the life of a friend, or when a series of painful things hit us all together at once, we are tempted then to be overcome by evil. How can we keep from being overcome by evil? Knowledge of evil will not overcome evil. Brute force will not overcome evil. Law work will curtail evil, but cannot overcome evil. First century Christians in Rome, they must have had a sense of evil pressing in on them. Because in the, the epistle to the Romans, Paul reminded them of the teaching of Jesus. He said, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So how do we keep from being overcome by the evil that's all around us. I want to suggest a couple of things. First, take evil seriously. I think Jesus would have us remember with every earthquake, every whirlwind, every misuse of a child, every death by disease, every disfigured thing, that we are at war with evil on a cosmic level. These dark and evil things like this plague that's sweeping around the world are not the evil things described in the apocalypse. People often say, is this what God is describing in the Revelation? And the answer to that would be no, but it is frighteningly like it, and God knows that. And so I'm, I'm confident that Jesus would have us, during times like this, remember that the things that are described in the apocalypse, in the Revelation, are things that are going to take place. And so it should sober us. You see, we should take evil seriously. And we should not just take the evil that's out there seriously, but we should take seriously the evil that goes right down into the heart of every single one of us and deal with that evil. When evil appears in any of its grotesque forms, we should remember again that there is evil in each one of us that has to be overcome. And we can't do this by ourselves, by self-reformation. That's why to believe the gospel, that Jesus Christ came, lived a life of perfect, sinless life, and died in our place, and, to tr and rose again to trust him, to forgive us of our sin, is necessary for us to deal with the evil that's in our own heart. But there's evil in the world that must be resisted. And it's real, and it's dark, and it's powerful. And it's inevitable, and we can't overcome the evil in us without God's help, and we can't overcome the evil in the world by, without God's help. And so the first thing that has to happen to keep from being overcome by evil is we have to take this evil very seriously. It is real. It is dark. It is deadly. It is grotesque. But we don't stop there. 
We live with confidence in the promises of God. We live with confident hope that what God says he will do. Jesus wants us to take evil seriously, but he doesn't want us to be defeated and live as victims of evil without hope. He wants brokenness to sober us, but he also wants his promises to give us hope or confidence. And even the simple promise of the arrival of spring should quicken our souls with hope that God always does what he says. So here's what I'm suggesting to you. This virus and all that attends it is a reminder that we are in a cosmic conflict now, that there is and always has been a great evil surrounding us. But springtime, the return of spring, is a reminder to us that God's promises prevail. Can I give you some humble pastoral advice right now? This week, tomorrow, the sun is going to come out and it's going to warm up a little bit. The grass is getting greener. Let every evidence of the arrival of spring remind us that God always keeps his promises. Now, here's what I want to do. I would like to show you a cluster of promises from the Bible. And these all are on a specific heartening theme. The promises in the Bible of a new heaven and of a new earth. Let the arrival of spring remind you that God promised a new heaven and a new earth. In the Bible, in the Gospel of Matthew, and chapter 19 and verse 28, Jesus is talking with Peter. And Peter asked Jesus a question in Matthew 19 and verse 27. Peter says, we have left everything and followed you. What then shall we have? And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, some translations say, in the regeneration, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Jesus said, when Peter said to Jesus, what will we have if we follow you? Jesus said to him, there's a new world coming, and you will enjoy it. And when he said that to Peter, Jesus was referring to an Old Testament promise that comes at the end of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 65 and Isaiah chapter 66. And this would be great reading for you out on the porch as you enjoy the arrival of spring. But listen to what it says in Isaiah 55, 17. Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem, 
to be a joy, and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad with my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. When you get to the end of Isaiah in chapter 66, this is the flourish with which it ends. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain from new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. Jesus was telling Peter what the prophet Isaiah promised under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that there will be a new heaven and there will be a new earth and there will be no evil in the new heaven and the new earth. Now, Peter believes this, especially after he has denied the Lord and then saw the resurrection of Christ and got recommissioned at that breakfast by the sea. And when after Pentecost and the Holy Spirit fills Peter, Peter goes out boldly preaching the resurrection of Christ. And Peter picks up the same theme as the promise after the resurrection. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 21, Peter's preaching, and he says to the people there, repent, because times of refreshing are coming from the presence of the Lord. Peter says in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoration of all things. Do you see what Peter did? Peter had some difficulty believing. He had some difficulty remaining awake when he, when he was supposed to be praying. He had some difficulty understanding the nature of the kingdom. He had some difficulty that he encountered because of fear. But by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter landed on his feet. And after the resurrection, Peter preached the same thing. He said, if you repent and if you turn from your sins, and if you believe in Jesus, you too will enjoy one day the new heaven and the new earth where there is no evil. This is the promise that Jesus gave to Peter. This is the promise that Isaiah gave, the promise that Jesus gave to Peter and his followers, the promise that Peter repeated to those who believed in Acts and chapter 3. And then, if you notice, Paul picks up the same promise in Romans chapter 8. And he says, the creation has been subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, Peter also wrote an epistle, a series of them. And in 2 Peter and chapter 3 and verse 3, Peter picks up this theme of the promise of the new heaven and the new earth again. And he's talking here about people who doubt it 
or people who are skeptical. In chapter 3 and verse 2, or verse 3, he says, knowing first of all, this first of all, scoffers will come in the last days scoffing, following their own sinful desires, and they'll say, where is the promise of your coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, through water, by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged in water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept under the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But don't overlook this one fact, beloved, the Lord, where the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient to you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. For the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Listen to what verse 11 says. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought we to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for, hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies may melt as they burn. Listen, according to his promise, we are waiting for, what is Peter going to say? New heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Do you see this? How did Peter, Peter's transformation was by an encounter with the risen Christ. And Peter's transformation was by the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But Peter's transformation was also by his growing confidence in building his life on what Jesus promised him, that there would be an ultimate reality, the new heaven and new earth, where righteousness dwells, and we will dwell with the Lord, and there'll be no more evil. Are you confident that that will be true for you? Have you repented and believed in Christ? And if you have, then don't be discouraged. But concentrate, meditate on these promises of God. And then in John chapter 21, the apostle John, he points out that he's seen what happens in the end. In chapter 21, what does he say? I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw a new city, a holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Someday, God will live with us. We will live with God. God will live with us on earth. And a new heaven, and a new earth, and a new Jerusalem, and no disease, and no tornadoes, and no sickness, and no death, and no evil, and no betrayal, but a new heaven and a new earth. Now, believers, how can we keep from being overcome with evil? We acknowledge the seriousness of evil, but we trust in the promises of God. And I want to suggest to you that every hint of springtime that God sends back faithfully every year should be a reminder to us that God will keep his promise of a new heaven and a new earth. And Jesus taught us to pray that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what do we do? 
I want to suggest four things. I think we should invest in eternal things now. My son and I have a mutual friend who's a single young man. And he decided not too long ago that he was tired of winter. And he got in his van and he drove to a southern state near the ocean. And he's living in his van and he's delivering pizzas. Now, he's making a lot of money right now. And so this is what he told my son. He said, I'm making more money than I've ever made. So he said, I'm investing it. Here's a young man living in his van, staying overnight in the Walmart parking lot. But what you wouldn't know to look at this homeless fellow is that he's making a lot of money and he's investing it for a later time. Wise Christians are making investments that they're going to cash in on in the new heaven and in the new earth. I would suggest that we invest in eternal things. I would suggest that we don't despair because we're driven by this powerful hope, confidence, but that we continually look through the Bible claiming the promises of God. Before our family moved here, we had picked out our house, and the details uh, hadn't, hadn't been completed yet, so we weren't really positive that our house would sell when we needed it to for what we needed it to sell for, and that we'd be able to buy this other house. But Lois and I would often lay in bed in the cold of winter, and I would have my iPad, and I would get pictures of Bittersweet Farm on my iPad, and I would look at those pictures, and I would imagine sitting on the porch and drinking tea and talking with friends. I would imagine being on my little lawnmower and grooming up my place like a golf course. This is what you should be doing right now. You should take evil seriously, repent, and turn to Christ. And then you should scroll through the promises of God all the time, reminding yourself of what's real and what is ultimate. You can build your life on the promises of God. And the third thing is, Peter said this in 2 Peter and chapter 3. Peter said, what kind of people should we be when we recognize this world is going to be refined and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells and God is going to live with us? What kind of people should we be? And he said, we should be holy people. We should be heavenly-minded people. And we should, fourth, we should model repentance. And we should call others to repentance. So we don't despair because we know the one who with the Father and the Spirit spoke all of the world into existence, promises long ago that as long as earth remains, the greening of the year will come around again and spring will follow winter. Some of you have heard me tell about the spring of 2011. In the spring of 2011, in March of 2011, Lois and I got on an airplane and we flew to the Holy Land. When we left Detroit, it was the worst kind of snowstorm. When we arrived in Tel Aviv, it was springtime. Then we got on a bus, and we drove up into Mount Carmel and up into Galilee, and the whole land of the Bible was lush with beautiful springtime, green grass and flowering things and growing things, 
warm sun on our necks and beautiful blue skies. It was springtime in the Holy Land, and we enjoyed every single minute of that warm springtime. And then we got on the plane when, when the tour was over, and we flew back home to Detroit. And when we got back to Detroit, guess what? It was still wintertime in Detroit. And then, not long after that, I was privileged to speak in Texas. And I got on a plane in Detroit, and when I left, it was wintertime. When I arrived in Texas, it was spring. And then I had this speaking to do, so I was preoccupied with all of that, and I spoke a number of times. And after two or three days, all my speaking was over, and I, I had a house they had given me there, and I had a porch. And after I was finally finished with all my speaking, and my heart was light, I remember I drug a chair out onto that porch and sat down. And I looked around and I thought, oh, it's springtime in Texas. It was so beautiful. I noticed that the leaves were completely open and the birds were singing and the flowers were blossoming and there were bluebells in the fields. And I thought, oh, this spring is so wonderful. And then they took me to, my, to the airport and I got back on the plane. And I flew back to Detroit. And when I got to Detroit, I got off the plane, it was winter time. But when I went home, I said to my family, oh, I said, springtime's coming to Michigan. And I've seen it twice already. And when it gets here, you're going to love it. Believers, listen, this is our calling. We've seen the springtime that God is going to send upon the world someday. And it's our job to tell people how wonderful it's going to be and invite them to enjoy it with us. We must be, we must be people who overcome evil with good. We cannot allow our spirits to be dragged into a swamp of despair, pulled back into the wintertime of a loss of hope. I'm among those who will continually strain to hear the sounds of spring on an April morning. I will continually trust he who conceived such wonder and such beauty and life and spoke it instantly into being that he will one day push back evil like spring overcomes winter every year. And I long for that day. But until then, I will conspire with others to overcome evil with good. I will speak and I will tell stories and I will write good words because good words are powerful words. I'll make videos. I will shout it from the rooftop. No kidding. I'll really shout it from the rooftop. I'll conspire with others to do good deeds. Who is with me today? Who is with me? Rise up, O church of God. Have done with lesser things. Give heart and mind and soul and strength to serve the King of Kings. We will tell all who will listen. We will pray and we will love and we will invite and we will encourage and we will have bold gospel conversations and we will Zoom and we will Skype and we will FaceTime and we will share and we will teach and we will protect and we'll deliver groceries, and we will plow, and we will plant, and we will teach, and we will doctor, and we will nurse, and we will respond, and we will keep the peace, and we'll build, and we'll sow, and we'll fabricate, 
and we'll make phone calls and we'll send cards and listen. And when in the evening, in the greeting of the year, we sit on our porch and we breathe in the fragrance of spring, our hearts will be filled again with hope that one day evil will be overcome with good. So in, to, in a benediction to you, I say, welcome back, greening of the year. Welcome, bird song. Welcome, busy farmers. Welcome, children on bicycles. Welcome, garden chores and golfers and fishermen and women. Welcome, sunning turtles. Welcome, sandhill crane chicks. Welcome, hopping crows. Welcome, loons on the lake. Welcome, genial breezes, and welcome, sun on my head. Welcome, front porch talks among peepers and crickets and owls. Welcome to the greening of the year. Welcome back, spring, because you always remind us that God keeps his promises. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Now may every hint of spring stir faith deep in each of your souls that the good will overcome the evil and that God will keep all of his promises and that one day there will be a new earth, a new heaven, and a new earth in which righteousness dwells where you and I will enjoy the presence of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you.